Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Colsey, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, how's it going this week? It's going okay. Um, I mean, I really can't complain too much. My body is not about to deliver the miracle of life. <laughs> your your um, body's not like going like, okay, we're almost done with this whole making another body thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I am neither a pregnant person nor a person who has been attacked by a xenomorph face hugger. Mm-hmm. So I'm on the whole On the scale okay. of things. Yeah. How are you doing, though? I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. I made the mistake earlier of standing up too quickly while I was teaching. And oh, nope. everybody was like, what are you doing? We've talked about this. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but I thought we were over that now. I thought we were like, you know, onto a new phase of things. I was like, yeah, we're, it's back. It's back. So I uh, tomorrow I have um, some teaching in the morning and then I'm going to be uh, doing Streaming Place. And, um, but then I'm going to be hanging out at a park so that if I have students who need me to like look at their violins and stuff, I can do that before I go and leave like post second vax and everything and pre maternity leave. Um, and after that I intend to do fuck all. Like I have things I have to do every day. I'm, I'm still trying to work another week, but um, like as far as like visiting, like I, I went um, and, and did some like visiting of people's like anybody that I might be like, Oh, I should try to visit them now that I'm vaccinated um and before i go on leave that was all this week and (laughs) anything else it was like well if i don't do it this week it's not happening because it's just everything yeah i've had a very very you know uh fortunate and easy going on the scale of things uh pregnancy so i i really really can't complain because i didn't like i didn't deal with morning sickness and everything um but it's just it's at the phase of it where it's just Everything is uncomfortable all the time. So, yes. It's like, yep, I'm going to be irritable to be around for the next couple weeks. Uh, So I'm going to spend my energy on not being terrible to the people I do interact with. And so, yeah, it's just a matter of pushing through the next couple of days. That makes sense. Aside from getting a little bit more work in, what are you going to do to relax, though? I'm really curious about, like... How are you going to relax? Well, shall we announce what our, our last show is going to be before we go we on should. hiatus? We should. That's a good point. We do have to. We do have. We should announce that. Yeah. Yeah. So so next week is going to be, unless the feature baby comes early, next week is going to be our last show before hiatus. And this week we're talking about the 90s classic, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, but next week to round out, but you know, before we go on hiatus... Our final show will be, Noel. Yeah, the final show will be the first season of the six season so far running show, Limitless. Mm-hmm. Yep, the, the multi, you know, the, like, the, the iconic and generation spanning right. uh, Limitless, of course, which we all re- fondly remember when it was renewed back in like January uh, uh, of its initial run. 
uh, first season. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to be doing Limitless. So I will be relaxing with Limitless because uh, a bunch of like there are some other shows that have been starting and I just have not been starting them because I don't know that I will be able to keep up with them, which is why I haven't been talking about Pose. I'm sure I will love the final season of Pose just as much as I did the other seasons. But uh, there's a reason I've been watching highly disposable things. And it's because I only have so much energy. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I, I feel that. I watched four episodes of Legendary this week because they, they dropped two last week and two this week um, as we record. And I have read, there's a new, uh, well, it might not be new, it's new to me, uh, baking show on HBO Max, Baketopia, that I actually don't think is very good. But I've watched a few episodes of that. Uh, I've been watching all the superhero shows. Um, that is what I have the the my the space for. So I will yeah. look forward to you know, catching up with Mayor from, Mayor from East Town and Hacks and and all these other really interesting, challenging shows. Yeah, you know, I don't know. As I'm trying to fall asleep in five six years, when the baby can entertain it, when the child can entertain itself, you know, something like that. You know, as I'm like, you know, trying to, um, you know, like as I'm like, okay, if I move, the baby's gonna wake up. So we're not moving now. And I guess I'm going to watch something. <laughs> that's when I can watch it. Um, but yes, uh, for, for right now, that's what I will be doing to relax when I'm not working this next week. I'll be sleeping <laughs> as much as I can um, and and watching Limitless and uh, generally just, you know, mentally and, uh, and psychologically preparing to have no more sleep ever. So that's my yeah. plan. Looking forward to it. We I heard from sense. one of our listeners, Sid, who wrote in. This week, uh, so the first time writer, so Sid, thanks for listening, who's apparently been listening for years, who uh, Sid says, uh, I too was a lost, totally tubular listener looking for a new TV podcast. Little did I know Televerse would become such an integral part of my TV viewing experience. I live in Belgium, where the French speaking media coverage of American TV is still very much focused on prestige t- TV. And it's sometimes very snobby. The CW, for example, is barely talked about. Um, even though it's available on Netflix there. Uh, I was so glad that I found you and got to hear your thoughts about Jane the Virgin, Lucifer, Superstore, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and all the DC shows, just to name a few of the shows I used to feel alone and enjoying, and sometimes felt a little bit guilty in doing so, too, since at least some of them were are very much looked down on, pausing Sid's comment to be like, ah, we don't believe in guilty pleasures here at the Televerse. We do, we do not. There's just pleasure. There's just pleasures. And if, you know, like, like I, I was, um, I was talking with my, my dad really enjoys, um, the Oak Island show, right? Where they're like digging up Oak Island, looking for gold and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, it's not like a great show or anything. I was like, dad, you're talking to someone who has seen all of classic Doctor Who. I'm very comfortable with like, Shows that are that are really good at a thing, but are not considered, you know, by many people to be good because, you know, for example, classic Doctor Who, the walls are made of fabric and they move <laughs> and the effects are terrible and Dalek has a plunger in his hand, uh, you know, like just because it does a thing really well and I love it. Um, and it's not for everyone. And that's okay. It's not a guilty pleasure if you enjoy it and you gain value from it. So, Sid, we're with you on that. Um, Sis says, I appreciate how you never seem to look down on the shows. Even with TV, you don't do not enjoy. It's been years now. I'm certainly not ashamed of loving the TV I love anymore. On the contrary, nor do I feel alone in my TV living ways. Turns out the internet is full of like-minded people who knew. But it's been a journey. You've been part of it. So thank you. It's been so great hearing from you week after week. And I'm very grateful for all the work you put into the podcast. You tuned me into some great TV. And I'm feeling very good about this. Pat our backs. 
Flight Attendant, Avatar The Last Airbender, Better Things, Kim's Convenience, I'm Sorry, DuckTales, woo! And though I was never taken to American re- Reality TV, I did binge all of Bake Off, and it was splendid. Uh, you convinced me to give a second chance to shows I had given up on. Thank you. Legends of Tomorrow is so fun, and so was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. eventually. And there are still many, many shows I intend to, to get to one day. Hentified and Queen Sugar at the very top of my list. I'm not sure I'll ever find another weekly TV podcast with so much overlap with what I like, and that's okay. Thank you really for the podcast, um, the recommendations, the feels, and the much-needed in-depth discussions about eventful episodes, seasons, and series finales. Um, the insights and musical interludes and the guests. Thank you for everything. Here you debrief. TV has been a joy. Um, oh, and they say, uh, I, uh, I wish you the best. I, uh, I also believe you've mentioned it on, but on this week's episode, but Ted Lasso does feel like a televerse kind of show if you ever get the, the access to Apple TV. I'll stop, stop with the ram- rambling, the exclamation points and the parentheses now, but that is, uh, like, uh, go team, right? And, and Sid, thank you for being open to those shows because obviously we love them, but I'm like, I'm so excited that I'm sorry is on that list, you know? I was about to say the same thing. I was just like, we got someone to watch I'm sorry. Like, I, 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 I don't know how we achieved that. Um, but yes, but now I'm also just sad that there's no more of it. Yeah, well, there's that. There's definitely <laughs> but, that. Um, yeah, I'm really, really, I'm really impressed with us that we got someone to watch and like I'm sorry. But also... Sid, I, I really do want to know how you found I'm Sorry in Belgium. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, you know, someplace? yeah, there are ways, you know, there we're not going to, we're not going to judge here. We're, we're not judgy no. podcast. Um, but yeah, but no, these are excellent, fabulous shows and yay. And, and Sid, thanks for like trying them out and like yeah. taking our recommendation and actually like, you know, taking a chance at some of these shows. So yay. Anyway, so thank you, Sid, for writing in. Um, we have some, uh, some news at the top. We wanted to make sure to mention we had missed this in the last episode. Um, but a couple of, of, uh, TV stars have passed in the past week have, have died. Gavin McLeod was 90. Uh, people will, of course, remember him from the Mary Tyler Moore show, but he's also on Love Boat, McHale's Navy, and, a, you know, a staple of a TV of a certain era. Um, and then Clarence Williams III was 81. And, and people will know him from Purple Rain, obviously, but also for a TV spectrum, like the audience. But he was, he was really big for the Mod Squad, which was, of course, such a, like a, like a decade or era defining kind of show. Era defining for sure, yeah. Yeah. So we wanted to make sure to mention the two of them. We should, though, get to our Week in TV because we have, we've got, I mean, I, I have a surprising, either I have no thoughts or I have surprising number of thoughts about Are You Afraid of the Dark? So we're going to have to save some time for that at the end of the podcast. Um, as someone who did not grow up with cable, uh, I was it was completely new to me. So that's going to be our conversation at the end of the show. Let's take a break, listen to a little music. Um, alas! No more listening to Zoe's Infinite playlist because it extraordinary yeah. playlist because it did get canceled. Yeah. But we will listen to some other delightful music from this week's TV and be right back with our weekend TV.
week in TV, we're going to kick things off with Top Chef Portland and their Tournament of Tofu. Then I'll talk about the last four episodes of season two of Legendary, OVA, Ice House, Electric Jungle, and Ballroom 5000. Mostly just kind of like do a look at the the end of, of this season of season two of Legendary, which has been renewed already for season three, which is anticipated to be the final season of the show. But I'll talk about the end of season two of Legendary. Then we have a genre roundup here with Legends of Tomorrow, The Satanist Apprentice. Batwoman, Armed and Dangerous, The Flash, Goodbye Vibrations, and the premiere of Loki, Glorious Purpose. So first up is Top Chef Portland, and I know you were very excited about the Tournament of Tofu. Noel, did this live up to your expectations? It did. Um, I I was very excited about this because I really love tofu. Um, it's a very versatile ingredient, as they know in part because of the different kinds of tofu that are available, but also because it just soaks up flavor when you treat it correctly. It just soak everything up and then it's just like delightful little explosions of flavor in your mouth when you bite into it. And so I was very excited to watch folks deal with this ingredient. And I was also really excited because I realized watching it, it was just like, oh dear, there's at least half of this cast that's probably really comfortable with it, given their culinary backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And then at least maybe the other half, not so much. It was so great to go from that, um, the quick fire mm-hmm. and, and show would be like, I don't do these things to the like main challenge and woo. Yes. Yes. Tofu. Take that quick fire about spicy. <laughs> Tangy and spicy. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I really liked the way that they structured it. And I really liked the overall effect of it. And mostly, though, I was very glad with with the exception of any competition Byron was in. <laughs> How close everything was. Because I do feel like that it was definitely an ingredient that only half of the remaining contestants were really, really comfortable with. But then just everyone else was kind of like, I got to make this work somehow. And it was really interesting to watch that. So I really enjoyed it. And I really liked having a peek at the Portland Japanese Garden because it's apparently very beautiful and I've never been, but it looks really, really nice here. Uh, So yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. I could probably talk about this episode for almost most of the podcast because it was (laughs) just really good. But how did you, what did you think about this? And do you like tofu, Kate? I, okay. I have... To my knowledge, only one experience with tofu because I don't choose it when there are other options. I go for the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one experience I have with tofu is in, in, like inextricably tied to growing up Catholic, um, wherein we observed Lent, the whole like no meat on Fridays thing. Right. And so I have a very, uh, you know, it's become the cultic lore uh, memory of my parents going to see a show because they would like my grandparents would drive down from Wisconsin and then they, my parents and my grandparents would go see like a, sh- a play or a musical or something and then and then come back uh, like every so often. And so one of these times and like, you know, my older brothers would watch us and mom would leave food on the stove or whatever. So it's like she had made stir fry and it smelled amazing. And and I was and literally I was just like, oh. Mom forgot it's Friday and she made chicken stir fry. And in like in my head, I was like, oh, that makes sense because the grandparents are coming down, so she's been busy like getting the house ready or you know, that kind of stuff. And 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 so I like heaped up a big thing, <laughs> pile of it, and um and then it was like took a big old bite, was like, 
it's not chicken. It's not chicken. So she she did use chicken broth and all this. It was the same recipe. And because of like, like I think I think we're like the like the overhead light on the stove was on, but like the light in the kitchen was off, and we were like watching TV or something. I don't remember. But like the light was not, so I couldn't really see it. it. Just looked about the same shape and texture, and and then it wasn't chicken. And so it's not <laughs> my mom's fault. It's not tofu's fault. It's because I was expecting. A delicious chicken stir fry recipe right. that I know very well. Um, it really, uh, I, I was like, I had to, I was like, guys, it's not chicken. It's tofu. <laughs> to like warn the other siblings. <laughs> so obnoxious, so ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so that is my only, you know, particularly memorable experience with tofu. I've not had tofu prepared in a way that is trying to be tofu. It's been like, mm-hmm. in a, let's see if we can trick the children into eating it <laughs> during Lent right. kind of a situation. Um, so I would love to try tofu by someone who's making really delicious tofu and appreciate and, and like learn what that is, like what that's supposed to be and all that. Um, but yes, no, that is my only relationship with tofu. I do not have an, I'm not anti tofu um except for when people like like i don't get the purpose of tofurkey kind of a thing like just have just have tofu don't try to make tofu pretend to be turkey like you know that that kind of a thing i don't really get but um these dishes all looked amazing and i i really like the format granted Mm -hmm. i'm coming from a very biased place obviously based on that very long story that i just told um but i feel like it's probably a not that out of the mainstream place for Americans that do not have a like a culinary like a, like a connection to tofu like so if like a Midwest kind of a thing like if you don't already have a positive relationship with tofu I think there are and this could just be my bias but it seems like there's a lot of Americans who are like um I don't know about that and and this for I thought this was a really great way to spotlight and to really celebrate the ingredient and be like yeah no it's delicious and amazing and here's all the different things you can do with it and here are the differences and, and, all, and all that. Um, so I really appreciated it. I liked that it was, I liked the ties. I thought that the the whole panel worked really well. I would have liked to see more of the deliberations, but I understand yeah, the point why we don't. Um, and I did feel bad for poor Byron because <laughs> it was a, it was a tie everywhere else and then a blowout. Yeah. In his defense, his tofu dishes were pretty basic. Yeah. Um, which were also to be expected because he was just like, I don't work with this. Like, I just don't. I don't know what to do with this. And it was really clear that, like, he was basing a lot of it on maybe something he'd eaten at some point. Um, and it was just like, yeah, no, that that looks exactly what that should look like. And you're not doing anything really weird or really kind of compelling with it, like doing a Nashville hot tofu, mm-hmm. which just... Yes, please and thank you. Yes. Um, I feel really bad for Dawn that her finger, she cut her finger and just completely botched her chances. We we guess that we have to talk about Dawn a little bit there because like on the list of reasons that like you get disqualified, I accidentally got a splash of blood in one of the plates so I can't serve it. It's, It's not even like she didn't, this is not the peanut sauce situation where she didn't budget her time. It's just like, I I can't serve a plate that has blood on it and there isn't enough time to put another plate together. So I'm not eligible to go through. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's rough. 
And I appreciated the guest judge being like, I want to vote in protest. Because <laughs> this is Don Wins. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I, yeah, so I felt really bad. But I do agree that there, and I don't think it's a bias. I think it's very much a, it's still considered like this hippie food. Mm-hmm. Um, that is there for people who are health conscious and that kind of a thing. Um, and it's, it's definitely that. Like, I mean, it's high in protein. It's low in literally everything else. Um, but you do have to take a lot of care when you cook it and treat it correctly. Um, just like with anything, it just involves learning a skill with it. Um, so I do agree that I think that this episode did a really great job of laying out the versatility of it. Um, I would have liked a little bit more about how you would use especially medium firm and extra firm tofus um, across cuisines. But I do like that they made sure to put an emphasis on the soft tofu because soft tofu is great and you can put it in just about anything um, and you won't even notice. Um, My partner and I use it in a um, cream mushroom soup instead of uh, cream. We still do a little bit of cream, but we use it as the thickener. Um, and to boost up the um, protein content of it. And it just works wonderfully. Um, so there's, it's just a really versatile ingredient. I was glad to see it spotlighted and spotlighted so well. Well, it's a kind of challenge that I would normally be like, that's two challenges in a row that I would love to see them bring back and make standard. Except that when people know it's coming, it doesn't have the same. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work yeah. the same way. Yeah. But it was another beautiful location and it was another really fun episode. They, like, I've just so enjoyed this season. Of, of Top Chef. Are you caught up on Last Chance Kitchen, though, too? I am caught up on Last Chance Kitchen. Are you? I am. And? I'm a little disappointed. Like yeah. Shoda, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I was so hoping that the final twist was not going to be the same one they did last time. I was going to be like, are we going to have a way for Sasha to get back in? Ah? Yeah. And alas, no. no. Um, but, you know... I, I am happy with who our final, like our top four are. And um, it, it is a really talented and different cast. Uh, it's it's such a different energy, which I really appreciate. So, yeah, I'm not ready for the season to be over. I am not <laughs> but either. Also, I don't want them to do a non-elimination episode or anything. So, like. Or a double. Yeah. Another yeah. double. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our next episode, which is uh, Legendary, which had four episodes. So. You may recall, Noel, last episode I was talking about how obviously it was good. The frontrunners were Tishi and Balenciaga, but really Tishi. Uh, so do you want to guess which team got eliminated the very next episode? Gee, um, I wonder who it could be based on that lead-in. Yeah. And um, it, it, and what I thought was very interesting is that HBO Max put out, went from putting out one episode. They started with, I think, three the first week. And they went from putting out one episode a week after that to... Two, because Tishi getting eliminated was some bullshit. Um, and mostly it just highlighted, like, of the final two, they lost the battle. They should have gone home. But they shouldn't have been in the bottom two. And the reason they were in the bottom two is because one of the other teams keeps landing in the bottom two and then getting extra points through, like, the secondary, like, subcategory thing. And either... Man- and managing to pull themselves out so they don't even have to battle, even though they're consistently in the bottom two of the groups, like like the overall group performances. And it's so frustrating. It's one thing if like you keep you 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 battle and you slay and you stay in and you know, fair enough. But to not even have to battle because 
they have set up a system where you get a max of potentially 50 points for your group performance. And then the extra category is 10 points. So if you're down like by, if, if one team gets a perfect score and you get something that's like, like you get 40, you get eights across the board, they get tens across the board and you win that special category. Now you're tied for the win. You know, you go from like probably going home to tied for the win. It's just too big of a swing. And it's just a, a structural problem with how they've, you know, conceived of the judging this season. And then there's also questions of like, well, and who are you bringing in to judge? And only one person on the panel tends to actually have a strong grounding in ballroom. So, you know, there's that too. Yeah, it's it's just when when one of your teams that gets like that is the clear front runner clear favorite to at least make the finale, if not win, uh, has a week where they just do okay. <laughs> and then they go home and another team has deserved to be in the bottom for at least three episodes and doesn't. It can be very frustrating. And that's why I think they made sure they put out two episodes so that the fans wouldn't have a week to bitch about it before the next episode came out. Um, this week they put out the last two. The final, after Tishi got eliminated, the, in my opinion, the, the correct team won. Um, another team just started like gaining momentum and really crushing it. It, it. it would have been such a great, interesting thing to see two really strong performance houses at least make it to the top three. Because um, instead it was one really strong performance house and then pers- two other personality houses or three other ones that were very clear. We're not probably going to actually contend for the win unless there was some more, you know, shenanigans um so it was it was after a really strong and and compelling start to the season it was very much a disappointing kind of final stretch only made less disappointed by the fact that the correct team won of the options that were still available um but they the the finale also had a performance by Deshaun uh wesley who's the host and uh absolutely slayed fabulous fantastic um megan the stallion performed a song and was super fun um, and they also had, they had, um, someone, BB Rexa, I think came on to do a song. Don't know why, but you know, fill time, it was a fun performance. And then they had the backup dancers were all different, uh, performers from the, this season and even last season on legendary okay. doing voguing and stuff like that. So that was a neat way neat. to like tie it in a little bit, but, um, it was sort of like a, why is that, why is that? But, um, yeah, it's been interesting. I look forward to seeing the, the air, the capital D discourse around these last two episodes now that. People will have seen them and because um, I haven't had a chance to like see what the reaction is online, but I, I am intrigued and I will definitely be back for season three, but I'm really hoping that there are some tweaks to the point system and the way they do the judging because there need to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you want tweaks? To, I'm curious about, do you want tweaks to the release schedule? Because I noticed that they were just dropping this really, really quickly. Um, and we had kind of talked about this a little bit with like Underground Railroad to a certain mm-hmm. extent last week. Um, do you think that this should be a more traditional week to week release to like kind of raise its profile a little bit, even though its third season is going to be its last? I, for me, I think there is enough, like, unless it's a particularly weak week episode or, you know, a week episode or something, mm-hmm. I think there's enough that having one episode a week, like the pacing of that feels right. And mm-hmm. the and it lets you kind of linger with these performances and especially the standout moments and everything. If it's a weaker season or you don't have as many memorable performances, then having a couple episodes lets you have just those few 
you know, Zom, you know, moments that you really enjoy and like relive that over the course of that week. Um, and I think starting with two or three episodes at the beginning of the season, especially if they're going to do like introduce all the teams kind of a thing, or if they're going to do a non-elimination first episode, which is, I would be all for where you get to meet the houses before anybody goes home. I think that makes sense, but yeah, I, it, it just felt very, very calculated. Like the most popular team gets eliminated and they make sure let's not leave everybody on that note. Um, let's yeah. make sure we, you know, let's, ra- we're, they're going to be angry at us. So let's wrap up the season right quick. Um, that's disappointing because with the amount of work that all of, I mean, everybody puts into any of these shows, there's so much work that gets put in by, you know, at every level of any TV show, but a performance show like this, it is, you know, disappointing to see it blip off the radar. Like we were talking about with undergrad to see it blip off the radar so quickly. In this case, I think that's going to happen somewhat because of the, some of the controversies around the, some of the eliminations. And that's what HBO's max is absolutely going for, which is disappointing. But um, when you see, you see this level of performance and you see the way that these people are putting themselves through it and out there um, you, you want there to be able to generate a couple more weeks of buzz and hopefully other like gigs from that and um, you know, sell more merch and all this different and like build their fan bases and everything. So I would hope that a season, the season three of legendary will not have controversies such that they feel the need to burn through the season. Um, but also I would hope that it would get a weekly release. Cause I do think that is a, like, imagine if they had dropped all of top chef Portland's, in like a week. Yeah. We would have watched it all. <laughs> and then. Yes. It w- which would have been great and all. But but then it just. It's such a shame. Because instead we get to savor it. And yeah. a show with this caliber of performance. I want to be able to savor it. That makes sense. I was just curious about how you felt about it. Because um, I was surprised it was already over. <laughs> yeah. Right. It like just started. Yeah. I was surprised to have such a. Like a. I didn't realize I had a, an opinion on that. So thank you for asking. Because <laughs> you're welcome. I found it. Um, found my opinion on that. Uh, let's talk about Legends of Tomorrow and the Satanist Apprentice. And I'm going to anger friends of the show, uh, uh, Allison Shoemaker and Latoya Ferguson, who, by the way, listeners, check uh, follow them on Twitter. They've been doing af- uh, post-show uh, crowdcasts talking oh, okay. about the, the episodes. Um, post-show, but uh, Western time zone pacific time zone because yeah. of latoya's in la um so it's yeah. i must sleep by the time they're doing them or i would be watching it along but anyways um because i was i i like this episode the satanist mm-hmm. apprentice but i think i i don't like necessarily that it goes into the animation because i feel like like instead of that being like the brilliant breakthrough like oh it's so amazing that i wanted to i feel like proportionately you needed more of the episode to be animated or you needed it to not be animated. And I would have been all for and Apparently the, the original plan was not for it to be animated. But they're like, guys, there's no way we could possibly afford this. The only way we could possibly do this is if we animate it. Because like the CG would be too expensive and, and all of that. Which is why it's animated. But I was so digging the like the Lumiere of it all. Like with in interacting with live action. And for me that would have... Like if you keep everything else the same. But it's not animated. I think I would have liked it quite a bit more. That being said, this is definitely my favorite Astra episode. There's a lot that I really like. How can you disagree with, you know, a steeled up cheese? I really enjoyed this episode, but I was surprised to 
be like, I could give or take the animation because normally this is the part of the show that I episode that I would most love. So I'm curious how you felt about this. If you are more Team Allison and Latoya, or if you're if you're if you're more over where I'm, I'm at with the animation. No, so I definitely think that there needed to be more of the animation, but I'm not I'm not angry about the that we didn't get more. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely probably more with Allison and Latoya on this episode than I think with you are. Though I do agree that there should have been more of it. Um, I, but I'm not going to be upset that we got as much of it as we got, um, and that it was just really fun to watch. Um, and the idea that we're getting both the Beauty and the Beast riff with an Ex Machina riff, um, including just a weird, bizarre shout out, like direct, hey, we're doing Ex Machina, everyone, (laughs) um, shout out with the, he did, he had to dance before he went to sleep. Um, (laughs) she's like, okay, folks, um, that I, I really can't be too upset. I do agree that this is a really great Astra episode and it's really nice to spend some time with her in the same way that we kind of always spend time with people who are recalibrating to being involved in the Legends world. And just in her case, it's, oh, I gotta be just in the world. And it sucks. It's just like, yeah, yeah, it does. Bet you wish you were on the Wave Rider with its one bathroom. At least it works. <laughs> um, but no, I think it's really, I think it's really fun. I think it's really good. Um, and yeah, I just... I couldn't get over just the general sort of audacity of we're going to animate like this little segment of this episode and do it fairly well. There's some, there's some like not full animated sequences um, in it, but for the most part, it's just really delightful. Um, And I found it a really good kind of way to do a big breakthrough episode for Astra bound up in her ideas of being royal, being really important, and then just all of that crashing down in kind of a reverse fairy tale way. Um, and then have it kind of come back all the way around again. I just really, really liked. On top of the whole depowering of John Constantine thing, which I think is both a fun narrative choice, um, because it means that John can't be just a Constantine ex machina mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but it also means that we get Matt Ryan being grumpy about things. I love Matt Ryan being grumpy about things. So overall, I really enjoyed this episode. It's probably one of my, it's probably like my favorite of the season so far. Um, I just had a really fun time with even the stuff with Sarah where I've been kind of like, this needs to keep moving and it's not moving, but you know, a joke about the, which of the 15 seasons of Winona Earp is your favorite. It's a pretty (laughs) solid joke. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was fun. It was fun. Um, I the the Sarah part of the episode, I'm not interested in or excited about Bishop at all. Uh, I'm actually rather disappointed in that. Um, so I'm hoping to get more on board with that in the next episode. Yeah. But I like the Sarah part of it. Yeah, the Sarah part's great. The Bishop part is, I agree, kind of whatever. Yeah, I, I I did love though the like the fuel cell. It's like it's, a, it's my nighty night. It's my nighty time sleepy go globe thing or whatever. Uh, it was delightful. Uh, the I also like the yeah, but I jettisoned all the others. Like you realize, I don't need an alien to get DNA. Like you just need like a hair. It doesn't take a lot of space to store that. Um, that was fun. But really, this episode is all about Astra for me and and what's going on in that corner. I, I appreciate any of these shows 
in this kind of a vein where they go, yeah, drop you off and they'll live happily ever after. And the wave rider zooms off and she doesn't have a passport. She doesn't have papers. She doesn't have a, how is she going to get a job? You know, she doesn't have a social security number or whatever the British equivalent is. Um, so I appreciate some of that aspect of it. I also appreciate that they just never even remotely tried to make the neighbor anything other than terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the 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 legend's reaction to all that be like, we really don't care about him. Like, we just don't kill him. But, like, we're more concerned about you. It was just very delightful. And the expression they get into the font of the binder for Ava is just so much. And I'm so glad she's a binder. Of course she's a binder. Character after my own heart. I thought all of, the, like, the casting for that was very fun. Um, so yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with that corner of the show, and like you know, it's just a smart move to to nerf um, to nerf Constantine for like what's coming next, but also just for the next season of the show that we're getting, which I still can't believe yeah. that I'm very excited about. Yeah, I am too. So I, yeah, I think all of it just I'm in agreement with you about like the bishop stuff and everything. So I think that yeah, it was just it was a solid episode, and I'm really eager as we kind of start to like wade into the back half almost Mm. not quite but almost of all right we've got a big bad sort of with bishop but we also have various other little things going on um that i'm really curious to see how they start tying some of these pieces together yeah well let's talk about our next episode that's batwoman armed and dangerous and like i don't trust it to stay gone but hey the crows are gone woo yay i mean they're they're definitely going to come back in some weird paramilitary way. Mm-hmm. Um, or something else will fill that vacuum. Yeah, basically. Because um, it's too much of a vacuum to leave um, unf- un- unfilled. But I suspect that we'll be dealing with like rogue crow agents who have taken advantage of the fact that there is no law and that they are the law. And there's also this whole armory that they have access to. And I'm sure, I'm sure all of those weapons are definitely accounted for no problems there folks it'll be fine it'll be fine they shut down immediately in like a day those offices were clear that armory is fine yeah very secure um i do not anticipate that aspect of the show being gone but i'm very excited for it to be a straightforward no no one's trying to pretend they're the good guys which um the show has been struggling with a bit I don't know that they needed to take quite so many episodes to get there, but I appreciate that they did. I appreciate that they got there first with Sophie and then with Jacob. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes next with that. The Where this show looks like it's ending the season is so much more exciting than the middle. Not necessarily the beginning. I thought they did a pretty good job at the beginning of the season, um, introducing Ryan and, and that stuff. But, like, this is... It's a shame we had to go through that middle chunk to get to here because this is a much better version of the show. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the middle chunk is so far anyway, just having blah ramifications like ocean popping up randomly when Alice needs to talk to someone else is really blah. Um, Everything with the everything with the desert rose, right? It's desert rose. Okay. Just making sure because that's also a sting song. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to make sure I wasn't like putting it in there. And so has also been kind of whatever. 
so I, but I am like you, I'm excited about the rest of it. Um, I'm interested in what this means for Jacob because it means he can have storylines now. Mm-hmm. In um, so in theory, that's that, that is a hard caveat to add of in theory, he can have stories now. So we'll see how that goes. But overall, I like this episode. I like the crows are gone. I like that the fact that, to your point that they don't really go out of their way to be like, yeah, no, there, there's some good apples. And it's like, no, the entire thing is bad and you need to burn it down. Um, and I like that. It's, it's a very, it's a much better stance for the show to take um, as it goes forward. But it also just indicates that, you know, the GP, G, GCPD is still bad, right? Like we've, mm-hmm. we've had, we had a whole episode about that. The, they're bad, like two episodes ago. <laughs> Um, so this is not new information. Uh, so I'm curious to see how they continue to escalate that and what pivot we encounter. My guess is, is that Sophie becomes like chief of police or something. Yeah. That's what I'm expecting her to become commissioner. Um, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Um, we do need to talk about Luke though. Um, yes. what'd you think of the decision to use like, you know, subconscious Bruce in this role and obviously the very... Uh, the the choice they have him make at the end and then uh, and the ramifications that that will bring it's pretty darn dark um i I look forward to the actor getting some stuff to play um i I feel like they maybe needed a i I don't didn't remember seeing a trigger warning i feel like that's the kind of thing that should have a trigger warning um how'd you feel about it i liked it i appreciated that well it does kind of come out of like a degree of nowhere um the fact that he when faced with a decision, basically, even if it's a weird comic book metaphysics decision, that that's kind of the decision he wants to make. I'm really curious about how it's going to play because like you, I'm eager for this actor to get something a little meteor to play, but I'm also really interested in how that's going to play into his decision to become Batwing, which they've announced that he's going to become. Um, they've released some like their CW-esque, promo art mm-hmm. that looks vaguely live action but also vaguely illustrated of him in the costume to a certain degree because he doesn't have the batwing helmet on um so i'm really curious to see how that is also going to play into his decision to do that but also john diggle's going to help him or like mentor him a little bit next week and i'm very excited about that i'm so here for diggle being uh, on the shows I am so excited about it. And plus David Ramsey, like directing half of them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also very excited. Anyway, that I think that I'm really curious about Luke's arc for the rest of this season and what that's going to look like. Um, but if Luke goes into the field more, that also means that we get just so much of Mary running ops from the cave. <laughs> we need another tech person. <laughs> She, and I'm here for that, however. I'm, I'm here for her running ops from the cave, 100%. Very excited for her yep. quarterback. But they cannot convince me that she can do the tech stuff, so... No, no, no. She absolutely cannot. Um, she can do the medicine stuff, no problem. Mm-hmm. Chemistry set, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of it, no. Um, yeah. how, how are you feeling about, like, the Luke stuff? I thought it was really well done. Uh, I thought they paced it well in the episode. I liked the choice for Bruce. I liked the performance from Bruce because it felt so different. Then even yes. when we had like uh, pretending, you know, the villain pretending, the bad guy pretending to be Bruce, but in a way that convinces 
you know, the characters who know him, right? It, I appreciated the change in energy that we got in that performance. It was, it was nice to get a little taste of, no, this is, this is the Bruce Wayne, or at, least, or at least the closest we've gotten so far to what the actual Bruce Wayne in this universe is like. And I thought that was interesting. Um, and it'll, it'll, it'll be neat to see how it all fold, unfolds. And uh, I, you know, I was about to say, I trust the writers too. I was like, I don't know if I trust the writers too. Yeah. But I'm hopeful that the writers will give this the weight and the time that it needs. I do trust the actor to deliver the crap yes. out of whatever they give him. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see what comes next. Um, over on the flash, we had goodbye vibrations. And um, uh, this, like, there, I have some issues with it. But in general, it was such a fun episode. And I love that they were like, what should we do for Cisco's last episode? What what does Carlos Velez want to do? Um, it's just gonna be silly. It's gonna be ridiculous, and he's gonna be the most checked in he has been for a long time. Yeah, he, Valdez is so dialed into this episode. I'm very happy about mm-hmm. it. He's just like, finally, I get to leave. Thank mm-hmm. God. Well, I guess I can earn this this week's paycheck, which is nothing against him. He's just wanted to leave for a while, um, and I get that. Um, and I get being kind of bored with the show because as an audience member kind of bored with the show so i can't imagine from it from an acting perspective but he's very engaged in it and it is as you said just a really silly episode um i like the idea of a new rainbow raider that just makes people really euphorically happy instead of rage monsters and i thought that that was a really good way to let both him and grant gustin just kind of do really silly things mm-hmm. which is the best um aside from also grant gustin's hurt face his sad don't leave me best friend face because that was also very good at the beginning of the episode uh that i just i was really delighted by it i don't i i don't know that i buy that this woman is going to have a seat on the economic development council oh yeah no that's ridiculous um even with the flash's endorsement but it continues the season's emphasis on we don't have to fight them we just have to offer them some other type of reform and appeal to their emotionality Mm -hmm. um in a different way uh but also Rainbow Raider 2.0 is doing the Lord's work by just showering everyone with money to help try to cancel massive amounts of debt. I'm not angry at that. Well, except that this, <laughs> who's going to get the money, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not going to actually solve the problems. It's not. The people who need the money probably can't afford to buy ticket, season tickets to go see sporting events. So, you know, who knows? It was a very poorly thought out plan, especially when you consider that it was also, I'm going to steal a blimp. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? No, just make deposits. Yeah. <laughs> just transfer funds, right? Just, you know, anyways. I, I do really appreciate, though, that this is the direction they go for a final episode for a character because I literally cannot think of another. It's that character, the actor's last episode. Yeah. What are we going to do? They always do like the dramatic stakes raising, even if they're sending them off into the sunset in a fun way. Maybe it's like a fun heist or it's like, you know, like some, some, breakthrough where they're getting something that the characters always wanted but usually it is bittersweet and usually it's very dramatic and there's some level of angst and everything to it and um you know holding back the tears and there is that scene or two here but this to just go wacky absolutely delightful very glad that they made that choice and yeah i'm gonna miss 
I'm going to miss having Cisco on the show. I'm going to miss having Valdez on the show. Um, but I'm not going to miss having a checked out, I would like to stop being here element to the show. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's end of an era, definitely. Um, I'm not, I think they did a good job prepping it. And the show, like narratively and structurally, there are other elements of the show that will fill that gap. But on a performance level, it's a shame. We're going to miss him. Yeah. But wish, yeah. wish, wishing the actor all the best. And hopefully he gets to do some stuff that he's more engaged with. And uh, I look forward to following his career from here. Same. Hard same. Yeah. Our last episode is Loki, which has premiere Glorious Purpose. Now, critics have seen the first two. People who have screeners, yes. I should say, have seen the first two. This is just the first one. Uh, the hype is high for these first two episodes. Uh, I thought it was fine. Um which it makes me, you know, very much on the, the wah, wah, kind of end of the spectrum. A lot of people are very excited about this. They really love this premiere. They think it's really a very confident premiere. I mean, a friend of the show, Caroline Sita, is reviewing it over the AV Club. She really liked the premiere. Um, but for me, it was just, maybe it was just too much hype. But also, I feel like I've seen this kind of an aesthetic before. I've seen this kind of energy to a time travel kind of bureau, governmental kind of thing before. And so it didn't feel... All that fresh and new, it didn't feel revelatory, and it's so much setup. I get that they need to do that setup, but it felt like this is one where, like, if it's me, I drop the first two because, like, the first episode sets things up, and then you can actually see what the show is in the second one. Um, and I wanted to like it more i wanted to be more grabbed by it and with especially with people talking about how like this is right up there with wandavision for this like the specificity of their aesthetic and their approach and their things that they're trying to explore i'm like did y'all watch the same episodes because not even remotely <laughs> the wandavision wandavision premiere is so much better than this and so much more interesting and challenging than this um that it's just not fair to compare loki to it because it's not trying to do that it's doing something different um Anyways, I, I I found myself a little befuddled after having watched it. At it, like not that people didn't shouldn't like it. They should. It's fun. I get it. You know, but it this was a lot closer to me to Falcon and Winter Soldier than it was to WandaVision. How how did you feel about it? So I also think this is fine, but I'm probably much closer on the no, Kate. You're kind of wrong the side of the spectrum okay. of fine um i definitely liked this more than you did but i also agree with you that there are certain degree certain parts of it that are not overhyped but feel a little well trodden so like the the 1950s 1960s mashup of the uh tva um feels well used, I would agree. I mean, all that's missing really are pneumatic tubes, quite frankly, and there aren't any, which, thank goodness. But I still like the overall aesthetic of it, um, of the TVA itself, that big, beautiful um, CG monstrosity of the city itself, I really, really loved, uh, or the agency or whatever that we get from the balcony, I think is really great. I really, really like that and felt the most, like, silver age thing comic book wise that marvel's done even though the time variance authority didn't exist until 1986 
mm-hmm. in the comics, but it felt Jack Kirby in its design and everything. And I just really liked that. But I do agree that it's just so heavy on exposition that I would have liked a second episode to get a sense of the show doing cop, not a cop. <laughs> um, so that I could get a, get a sense of its rhythms outside of, by the way, here's what this thing is. By the way, here's Loki's backstory up to a certain point. And also here's the rest of this. Um, and all this, all this little stuff. Um, because it's handled for me with some deafness, but I realize that the deafness doesn't come from the writing. It comes from the fact that I'm really drawn in by the energy between Hiddleston and, um, Wilson, who I think have such mismatched approaches to how they act uh, that it just really drives home the fact that all of Hiddleston's choices that he's made from Loki performer as Loki's performer from day one with its Branagh-esque like Shakespearean diction and posture that's just been consistently carried over for Loki across across his run. And then everyone else thinking that he's a clown Mm-hmm. I think is really delightful in terms of the energy level that it brings. And I really like how Wilson's whole kind of aw shucks mouthing things silently, which is a very Owen Wilson thing to do, um, just stands in really stark contrast to Hiddleston's performance. And I really, just that general vibe carries me through the episode. So I think it becomes for me much more of an actor showcase, really, that whenever we weren't with the two of them together, I kind of faded out just a little bit because I was just like, yeah, but that's the show is the two of them for me so far. Anyway, based on this first episode. Um, So that's kind of how I was feeling about it. But I do have a question for you about this premiere and also about my idea for a spinoff. And I really want Casey to have a spinoff in which she just interrogates what a fish is. <laughs> um, because oh, just that poor boy <laughs> just wanted to know what a fish was. And he's also been behind that desk since he was created. <laughs> I like the, uh, the box of infinity stones. Yeah. Uh, some people use them as paperweights. <laughs> how, how many times they've had to reset timelines and such. And We'll see what happens with it, but it seems like they're just like, oh, don't worry. Like, don't worry about the plot hole where Loki disappears because they, like, set off a thing and then Loki didn't disappear. So, like, they, like, air quotes, healed the timeline by somehow creating another Loki who will then go on to the the rest of the storylines. Like, any other temporal anomalies created by the Avengers, you know, actions they were supposed to create so that it's fine and it all works out (laughs) you know like hand wave it's don't worry about it um don't think about agents of shields time travel stuff kids don't think about that because we're not even going to confirm that colson is alive still which feels like they should have done just for rope salt in a because colson's great um, yeah. But B, they should have also done it because it would have just rubbed a lot more salt in Loki's wound. Oh, he would have been here. so annoyed. It would have been great. He would have been so upset. Um, <sighs> how many times did how does that guy need to die? Right? Yeah. Oh man, um, I did really enjoy the casting. Like, and pretty much every actor who shows up, I was like, oh, they're great. Oh, they're great. Really enjoy them. So I, I don't actually anticipate most of them getting more, much more to do in this season um but hopefully they do that would be great that'd be delightful um i i i'm hoping for some like a like a left like a zag instead of a zig around it's loki and 
he's trying to he's doing all this stuff so he can get a reset thing so that he can save his mom right yeah. which is what it feels like they're very strongly yes. establishing here um we'll see uh yeah i think i think the just the whole oh it's you like kind of a reveal i was just like oh it's boring but um you know Everybody else is more on board. So I hope that I will be with you all next time. Yeah. And I think it's okay not to be on board with this based on this pilot, because I do agree with you that the one division pilot is much more compelling and much more interesting than this is in part, because again, this is just a really long exposition dump with a couple of good bits and a couple of solid like character beats, like the whole idea that all of Loki's decisions have been preordained is just a beautiful hellscape for that character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like the way Hiddleston finds that as an emotional core by the end of the episode to drive him forward. But then this gets back to the fact that while that's a right writing decision, the fact that I'm more compelled by the acting in it signals that for me, there's still a little bit of work to be done. So yeah, we'll see. Um, but I'm also, I can give this kind of a longer leash than I was giving Falcon Winter Soldier, even by the end of the first episode of that run. Um, so I'm excited to see what they continue to do. Um, I'm also excited about the fact that this show drops on Wednesdays. Like, yeah. it just, it's weird. And I don't know what to do with that. Um, but I don't hate it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I, I like that they're spacing out some of their shows a little bit more. Um, so mm-hmm. it's not just like all of their stuff is set as Fridays. Um, so, you know, because you know that Bad Batch would get overshadowed by Loki and some of these other shows. So uh, I, I, I think it's interesting. We'll see what happens with that on a programming level. And they've already been confirmed for a second season. So we're getting a second season of this. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, we'll end your week in TV. Um, I think I'm going to give it to Tournament of Tofu. Um, so Top Chef wins again, but also like a big tip of the hat to the final like 10 minutes of Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about you? Yeah, I think I, I think I have to give it to Top Chef, but I did enjoy a lot of these episodes or elements of them quite a lot. I, I had a lot of fun with the TV I watched this week, um, even if I can nitpick anything, it, it, would, it would so seem. Um, I'll, I'll give it to Top Chef. Now we'll take a break, listen to the theme song, and come back with our conversation about Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, the theme song for Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, So this is a show that ran for like 100 episodes, way longer than I thought, uh, than I was aware of. Um, Counting revival seasons and that kind of a thing. Yes. Yes, yes. There's a a lot of this show. Um, I did not have cable until uh, the summer of eighth grade. And, uh, and so I did not see a lot of nineties TV uh, that everyone has seen. Like I've never seen Doug, for example. Um, there's a lot of shows that are formative millennial shows that I have absolutely no frame of reference for. This is one of them. Uh, I watched a bunch mm-hmm. of episodes of it and, um, 
I was very surprised because I did not uh, care for it. It's not, you know, it's just not for me. Not the right age. All right. For, for this. But what I was very interested in is the fact that certain of the episodes really worked for me. And I cannot point out what they did differently than the episodes that don't work at all. And I find that fascinating. In our, in our show notes here, there's one episode um, that, that I watched and I, you know, I had notes on a few things, but mostly not. And then you watched after it and wrote a big old nope. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that is the episode where it's like, this is really disturbing and creepy and like an off-putting. And, uh, I can't point to what, cause it's not like the actors are better. They aren't, they aren't. And it's not like, like, it's still all of the things that don't work about some of the other episodes for me as, like, watching as an adult, not the intended audience, you know, all of these different things are still there. And yet that episode works. So I'm very intrigued by my experience with this show. And I'm curious what you thought of it. Now, had you seen this previously? So um, while I was a big fan of SNCC, which was the two-hour programming block of 8 p.m. to 10 p.m on Saturday nights uh, that Nickelodeon aired to cater to a slightly older demographic than they do with the rest of their daytime programming. Um, they had a really cool logo. It was very much kind of like a forerunner kind of concept to like adult swim, but like not as edgy, obviously because Nickelodeon's <laughs> not edgy or like also kind of to a certain degree Toonami, which Cartoon Network was starting to experiment with at this point, um, but not quite there yet. And, so while I watched a bunch of stuff that was on SNCC, I did not watch Are You Afraid of the Dark for a couple of reasons. The first one is that it was the anchor show for the programming block. So it aired at 9.30, and I was sometimes not allowed to stay up that late. The other reason, however, is that I'm a big wimp. <laughs> um, even then, even when I was like 10 or 11, which is when this show started airing, because it started airing in 1995, I think. Um, no, 92. So I wasn't even 10 yet. Um, it stopped airing when I was like nine or 11, which is the main reason I was not allowed to stay up until nine 30. But I would see like the theme song and see the previews for it, watching some of the earlier shows and be like, Nope, too scary. Not going to watch it. Um, like, I mean, I, Kate, I had nightmares about the Amelia Earhart Star Trek Voyager episode. <laughs> so I really should not have been allowed to watch any of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I did not. So I have not seen any of Are You Afraid of the Dark. I know that it's about a bunch of kids sitting around a campfire telling horror stories to each other, the the Midnight Society. Uh, but I never, ever watched it. Um, and I'm so glad that we had basically the exact same experience watching <laughs> the show. Because I totally agree with you. I think that there are a number of episodes that really kind of work in hitting a hitting some kind of horror vibe or a general sense of uneasiness like bare minimum if it's working you feel a little uneasy but then sometimes they hit a really good horror button somehow and yet they don't do anything different <laughs> the acting like you said is very middle of the road not great for the most part, um, sometimes there's a couple of okay performances. Like Melissa Joan Hart's episode is great. She's fantastic in it. We, we're going to uh, come back to that. We have to talk about that yeah. a little bit later. Yeah. 
But for the most part, the acting is not great. The writing is vague enough to hide the fact that they shot this in Canada. It is very much, hello, North America type <laughs> of things. Uh, we will not say that we are in Canada, but it, it they're in Canada. Um, this was a co-production between a Canadian, um, Canadian production company and Nickelodeon. Um, but yeah, there's no, for me, I can't pinpoint an explanation as to why some episodes work better than others, despite the fact that there's a really strong consistency between the show's aesthetics, between the level of acting, and just kind of the general quality, writing quality of an episode, um, which I think is both a feature and a bug, because I really like how really consistent this show is on just a viewing experience level, even if I don't like the episode per se. But there's just a couple of episodes and let's just kind of talk about the tale of the dark music, which is the episode I went, Nope. <laughs> on, And that was the episode that you had the response to as well, because for me, a lot of that is because I have a scary basement now mm-hmm. as a 36 year old that I do laundry in. And there's just half of it. I can't see into because it's very unfinished and it's just stuff that's under the house. And no, absolutely not. Plus also my house is haunted, everyone. Uh, that's a whole separate story. But the basement is particularly haunted. And watching that episode and people going down in the basement to do anything, I was like, absolutely not. This is terrible. But I also think that at least also the other thing about Tale of the Dark Music that I think makes it work is kind of the ambiguity of that ending, which they very quickly walk back as soon as we cut back to the Midnight Society. But it's still unsettling in a way that the rest of the episodes are not. At least the episodes that I watched. I watched about 10. I think you did about 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's just that the kind of unsettlingness. But also I think it's just creepy cluttered basements are just scary no matter your age and what they're doing with them. Plus there was also a clown in this episode or like a scary life-size doll. It was a scary life-size doll. There are a lot of clowns in this show, but a scary life-size doll was very unsettling and I did not care for it. See, I didn't have a scary basement. I grew up in a raised ranch. So like lots of windows and natural light everywhere. Um, And even like at the grandparents' houses, the, the, the basements were not, spooky places even at camp on campus of the yellow house um which is the house i lived in um with some roommates during college during grad school which had an unfinished basement a partially unfinished basement um it would like you know it was great for halloween because you just like like put some fake cobwebs and like match the aesthetic perfectly great but like i don't have a basement thing it though that definitely very strongly reminds me of home alone and like yeah. the like the the way that they capture that element of horror that like particular button like you're saying for a lot of people in in home alone but um they i think for me it's the headphones on in like you know like the old like turn around turn around what are you, you gotta turn around you know um, but I think it's also then th- there's a couple of touches of creativity that really help the fact that the creepy door thing is very much impacted by the music that is being listened to. So it, I was like, oh, it's, it has to do with that particular radio. No, it's if you're listening to any music, whatever music you're listening to will determine what comes out of the room <laughs> to eat you or to, uh, you know, realize that, oh, no. 
this one can be a feeder. Um, so that, that, that was a little bit more creative than some of the other, like, twists or, like, mid-episode uh-huh. turns in some of the other stories. Um, it ends on such a dark note, you know, like, because like, they, they, and they walk you to it well, where it's, you know, the, where he feeds the kid to it, but, like, you get the sense that he is not intending yeah, to. He doesn't know. He doesn't not intend to, but he doesn't intend to, you know, like, he, he doesn't make sure it doesn't happen, but he, you know, didn't want it to happen. Um, and then, like, the, the little moment of, like, like, all of a sudden he's wearing makeup and he's evil, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, it's very 90s and I love it. But it works really well, um, and there's enough breadcrumbs throughout that you can see, like, the, that it all it all ties together. Um, but it's also very cheesy, and it's also very like, like the, the 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 performance from our main kid in the story within the story um, is is pretty strong on the con- compared to some of the other yeah. ones that I saw. But the bully is not great. And bully like, is embarrassing. Like the sister, cat. the annoying sister, not good. Um, so, so it's not even like a performance level thing. It's just a. This is maybe it's a pacing thing. Maybe if I watch it again, I, you know, which I don't intend to because it's creepy. Um, the, the the pacing is what it does it, or the structure. You know, I'd have to watch more of the episodes to and like really analyze it a bit more which i would actually be interested to do if i had more time like what makes certain things work and other things not work um but yeah i was so tickled because i I was like should i tell him you should watch that one i was like ah we'll see if he gets to it um and then you did and then you had that same response because for me it was like that was definitely the episode where it was like Nothing in this triggered the kind of response I had with some of the, you know, going back to the earlier years of the podcast, the Steve Procopi Horror Picks, um, where it was just like, ah, this is why I watch horror at 10 a.m. with the windows open and and everything. But that episode was, like, very effective for me. Um, The next one I want to talk about is The Tale of the Frozen Ghost, which I don't think is a particularly good episode, but it has Baby Melissa Joan Hart. And I was, it was just revelatory for me that she's so good and she not that there's not all that much for her to do it's a very nothing role um she's just there to be like a normal kid and she just feels like a normal kid you don't feel like you're watching an actor and it was so fun to see because i didn't you know like i said i didn't have cable so i didn't watch closer explains at all and i i did watch her on sabrina the teenage witch when she was when she was like a little bit older but um it's so fun to to just be like, oh yeah, you can see what the experience for certain casting directors is, where they're like, note her, she's good at this, and all these other kids, they're trying their best. It's not their fault, you know. Acting is hard; it's hard to be naturalistic. But she just feels like a normal kid, not a performer, not you know, like all this other stuff that you get used to. By the time I got to that episode, I had seen a bunch of other ones, and um. I'd probably seen like eight other episodes and it was just like, oh, this is refreshing. It's a good kid performance. Um, so yeah, I was just like, this is weird that I'm sitting here standing Melissa Joan Hart <laughs> in the middle of my, are you afraid of the dark rewatch? It's not though. Um, her performance is really great. She's really good on Clarissa Explains It All as well, um, which isn't too far away from this episode. And I agree with you. I think that 
she's the best thing about it. She's very natural in a way that most of the rest of the show, most of the rest of the actors are not. Um, baby Lana Lang from Superman and Lois is in uh, Tale of the Night Shift. Um, and she's pretty good in that episode as well. Um, but it was mainly just the fact that Joan Hart is just really, like you said, just really natural um, and really finds a vibe to play real quickly. And no one else, even the adult actors, kind of keep up. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it kind of helps elevate an otherwise kind of just very lackluster episode because the Frozen Ghost story is not interesting. Uh, there are the Lonely Ghost episode, which is the first one that I think we both watched, is much better, I think, as a ghost story than this one is. Even yeah. though it's basically the same thing um, in terms of how you solve the issue. But because of Melissa Joan Hart's performance, it's a much more watchable episode. And anytime she's not on the screen, I'm a little upset with the episode. Uh, but it speaks to just kind of the general acting quality of the show's kind of just... It's very much a 90s show constructed for kids. So even the adults are kind of like taking the paycheck. Um, mm-hmm. But that the kids are trying their best in a lot of cases. And I do think there are some solid kind of performances. I, like, I think both of the teens in The Tale of the Midnight Mattis are really, really good. Um, even though they don't have a lot to play, I think they're pretty good. Um, I also really like that episode in general. I thought that the whole conceit was quite good. Yeah. But I think that that's like the thing of speaks again to the show's consistency is that, yeah, the the actor is not very good. Sometimes the writing is kind of iffy, but I still felt entertained with each episode, which is not what I was expecting when I watched this, because I was really expecting to watch it and be like, oh, yeah, this isn't good. I mean, it's fine. I can see why I, if I were not such a wimp and scaredy cat, I would have enjoyed the show at that age. But I can also see why, like, going back to it, I'm just like, no, this is, this is about on par for other live-action kids-targeted shows that I enjoyed. So I can see why this was really foundational for folks um, and really kind of, like, beloved for people roughly in our age range. Um were there, uh, I did watch the Baby Ryan Gosling episode. Um, I was going to ask. I didn't get to that one. How was Baby Ryan Gosling? So it is very much a Goosebumps episode um, type of thing, even though Goosebumps didn't quite exist yet. Um, but Ryan Gosling's good in it. He's more like preteen as opposed to baby in this. But Gilbert Gottfried's in it as well. Um, and he's very, he does his Godfrey thing, um, which is a delightful way to introduce that to children. <laughs> Um, but he also does his James Mason impression um, for for a few scenes in the episode. And if you haven't heard Gilbert Gottfried's uh, James Mason impression, it's a couple notches below Eddie Izzard's, but it's pretty good and not what you would expect from him. But the episode on the whole is pretty solid. It's a kid who is obsessed with death and then becomes a ghost for various reasons um, and is about to be shuttled off to the afterlife. Gilbert Gottfried's like the gatekeeper, basically. He's not, he's not death, um, but he's like the bureaucrat that's like, over, helps death, kind of, um, which is perfect role for him. Uh, but that episode, I think, is actually pretty solid, and Gosling's fine in it, um, but he's definitely like pre-teen Gosling. I, yeah, so he's fine in it. It's an okay episode. Um, what other episodes kind of stood out for you that you watched? 
it was interesting for me which ones uh worked better and which ones uh made had no impact on me and which ones I was like kind of yelling at the screen a little bit about um because uh-huh. Midnight Madness which is about a movie theater um and and like a like a Nosferatu kind of style black and white movie and the impresario who's who directed it or whatever um who's a recurring character Dr. Vimp is a recurring character on the show. He pops up in a bunch of Oh, episodes. okay, cool. Um, just, you know, revitalizing an old going out of business, you know, theater and, and there are other ramifications there. That one was that one was fun, even though I, like, it was like, I, that was one where I watched it. like, this is super fun. If you tweak, like, two things, it could be really good. That's sort of how I felt about that one. The Tale of the Midnight Ride, which is Ichabod Crane and uh, the Headless Horseman and everything. Is fun um, and you know exactly what you expect it to be, but you know, but but I enjoyed the ride and then watching like the um, the the tale of the final wish, which has Bobcat Goldthwait as the Sandman. Um, it's so good. It's so stupid. I loved every second of it. <laughs> I was just I was just so irritated at it watching it. I was just like. Why are you friends with these people? These people are all terrible. Your brother is horrible. Your parents are not good parents because they're letting your brother traumatize you. Um, and also, who cares if you like ghosts, if you, if you like fairy tales and they're like, you're too much of a little kid. Like, I was just, clearly it was working on me because I was like, I was very frustrated with the protagonist for being such a simp. <laughs> and so it was, it was, you know, prompting a response. So some of those are some of the ones that, that stood out for me by far for me, the most effective one on a horror level was the, uh, the tale of the dark music, like not close for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't doubt that if I watched more of them, I would find more like that, that really were very effective to me. Yeah, and I think like the tale of Laughing in the Dark, which has Zebo or Zebo, mm-hmm. the clown, and it is kind of effective. Mm-hmm. It has moments, yeah. It has moments of being really effective, like that whole home invasion section where the balloon under the door. The balloon under the door is creepy as fuck. <laughs> um, but also like having him spill the pudding, so you get to see the footprint in the in the pudding. I think is a really smart idea. So I think that there's a lot of clever concepts in there. Um, that also the design of that clown doll is unsettling. Um, so I think that one works pretty well for me. Um, Silent Servant, I think, is just a generally kind of creepy scarecrow episode um, that is not scary in any way, shape, or form. But it's definitely more of one of those kind of... And this, I think, kind of carries over in a couple of episodes as well, because there's also the... Ah, Tale of the Captured Souls that has like a mad scientist character mm-hmm. in it. Um, that there, the show does definitely have like vague Twilight Zone, Outer Limits vibes as well. It wears those influences on its sleeves pretty heavily in certain episodes. And I appreciate that. Like it, the show as a whole is very much a, veers really wildly between Kitty's first horror picture Kitty's first Alfred Hitchcock presents and then Kitty's first Twilight Zone slash Outer Limits. Um, and I like that you can have that kind of variety in all of these episodes uh, across the show that even like we only watched a small handful um, of episodes overall uh, that I generally really works. And 
a little bit of me is curious to watch like some of the episodes um, from one of the revival seasons, which are available um, on Paramount Plus, which is where we watch this. So I think they have like the Carnival of Doom season, which mm-hmm. is the 2019 revival that just dropped a whole second season uh, in February. Mm-hmm. Um, to see how the show's aesthetics have changed and its approach to things have changed, given a modern audience now. Yeah. The um, the Tale of the Captured Souls, I enjoyed. Uh, the the list that we have found of like which episodes to watch uh, was far more um, enamored of yes. our villain performance than I was, because I did not think it was very good. I liked that kid. I thought he was good. Yeah. But I was here for our protagonist. <laughs> I really enjoyed her. <laughs> Don't call me Danielle. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was good. I, I, I liked the the um antagonist's kid's performance. I thought it was actually quite charming and weird, and I, I liked that whole vibe that he did. Um yeah. One thing I do want to note is that the show's um because it's an anthology series, so there's a new location every week. And like uh, their scout, their location scout is pretty good. Um, yeah. They find some really great exterior things, even if they're maybe like shooting on sound stages for some of it or like in people's houses for some of it as well. But their location scouting, especially for their exteriors, are really great because that house in Tales of the Captured Souls is cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you don't, uh, you would expect there to be more things that you could tell have been repurposed and reused, like in a show that had 100 episodes like this. Uh, you would expect you'd start running out of locations. And maybe, that, again, maybe that happens and we just didn't happen to see those episodes. Yeah. But, um, but no, I was, I, I think that's a good point because obviously the, the, the Midnight Society is just sitting around a campfire so they just have that campfire set and that's easy. But because every single episode has, you know, it's an anthology show, like you said, they all have to have very specific things relating to the plot. You know, like this is a pool that's, you know, has a like zombies and stuff coming out of the pool. And then this one is, uh, has to have a river and this one has to have the, you know, like there are some really specific, like to the point where you wonder if maybe the location scout was like, I have these places and they're like, okay, this one would be good for creepy clown. This one would be good for blah, blah, blah. And like they built it off of the locations even sometimes. Um, I would be curious what the process was if there, if that ever happened, because you'd think that it would be hard to source some of these set like settings and everything but they but like you said they did a good job yeah um did you speaking of the midnight society how invested were you (laughs) negative i mean negative invested i also just have no time and patience for um uh groups of kids where some of them are jerks Mm -hmm. um and like the like the like it happens a bunch uh both with the midnight society and then also the stories within the episodes of uh, bullying kids, like calling other people chicken, and then kids submitting to peer pressure about stuff. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, we all deal with that. And middle school is terrible. And don't get me wrong, uh, that's a very accurate part of the teen experience and everything. But I was ne- never like I started to like be influenced by peer pressure kind of stuff in like sixth grade, and then kind of like realized I was doing that and was like, oh, that's dumb. And snapped out of it. And then I was like, well, these people are terrible. I'm just going to go hang out with these people who are cool and don't do that. Um, So since, I'm glad that I had the presence of my, there are plenty of other 
very obvious landmines that I did not avoid <laughs> in the teen experience. But I was very glad that I sidestepped that that particular one and had and had some some good friends that so, so that I didn't have to deal with that. But I've never had patience for that, and it comes up way too much in the both the Midnight Society and then the characters within the stories where I'm like. Why are you spending time with these people? Like, I did not have a bunch of friends who lived near me. Like, there was only so many options. You know, I get that aspect of it. But, like, just go read a book. You know, why are you spending time with these jerks? How, how did you feel about the Midnight Society kids? Yeah, no, I don't care about them at all. Um, yeah. And I agree with you about the bullying thing. It's such a trope of, like, especially 90s kids-centered television. Um just across the board. And it's really heavy here because uh, it's such an easy way to generate conflict. Um, but also a really easy way to say, don't do that. Um, so um, while still, yeah. So, but yeah, no, I don't care about them. I don't care about the fact that maybe there's a romance between a couple of them. Mm. And maybe if they just were really honest about their feelings, um, <laughs> which comes up in, um, if you want to like get that, it comes up in tail of the night shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it's very sweet. Um, but it's also very stupid. And I don't care about it. Um, the thing that annoys me the most about the midnight society, however, is the fact that they use water to douse that fire. Mm-hmm. It's like kids. No, that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Use sand. Yeah. Um, well, I also wanted to know, like, where are they at summer camp and they snuck out of their cabins? No, no. This is like a weekly thing that they do. They leave their houses. And, and it can't actually be midnight. No, no, no. It's not because the, the tale of the midnight madness, like, occurs before a midnight show at the movie. Theater. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's like nine o'clock. <laughs> okay, because I was just like, where are all your parents? <laughs> was the other thing I was thinking. <laughs> but, um, you know, my bedtime was eight when I was in elementary school. And then like, you know, maybe nine when I was in middle school, depending on if I had a homework, they let me, my parents let me stay up. So like, I was, my parents were not going to be letting me go out into the woods to tell ghost stories with my friends unsupervised uh, on like, even a week weekend night. So, yeah. yeah, it was just very outside my experience, shall we say. Um, any final thoughts on Are You Afraid of the Dark? No, I'm just, I'm glad that I chose this because um, it was a weird, for my age group, blind spot for me. Um, mm-hmm. Again, big whip. <laughs> well, also myself, massive scaredy cat. So, yeah. Never, ever going to watch the Tale of the Dark music ever again as long as I live. Absolutely <laughs> not. I'm going to be afraid to do laundry this week. <laughs> <laughs> just don't put any music on. You'll be fine. I don't, I did not understand. I was just like, buddy, you're only going to put in like one of those tarps in that mm-hmm. washing machine. Mm-hmm. Stop trying to put two in there. Also, you don't need the radio on to do this. <laughs> it's going to take you two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Also, why is there like a, a power switch upstairs to turn on the like, you oh. know, that's super common. That I did not even blink. No, I mean that. to turn on like the 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 people eating door. <laughs> oh, but, no, that's fair. Yeah. Anyways, because uh, don't overthink it. And on that note, uh, yeah, I had, I had fun with this as well. So it, it was just such a nice change of pace from some of the other stuff we've watched. And I do feel like I have a better sense of some of that that uh, Nick vibe from the '90s. So thank you, Noel, for picking yeah. this. If I had known you hadn't seen any Doug, I would have chosen Doug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can find our M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed up in Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a rating or review. We're also over in Stitcher with the M4A feed. And uh, of course, we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? I am at Noel RK. <laughs> thank you so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Thank you.